Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So we are back. It may be the international break, but we have still got a lot to discuss. And today I am joined once again by Alejandro Diago. How are things in Finland? Hello, Angelina. They are things good. Things are good, but very cold. Oh dear, see myself and Ollie Dressler, who is back with us. We are enjoying some good weather in Berlin at the moment, aren't we, Ollie? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes. it's almost spring here. It's fantastic. Very good. It's like Lucky the, you. the vibes. <laughs> the vibes are brilliant. Um, and obviously, we're not here to just talk about the weather. We are, of course, talking about women's football. Um, so I thought first up, we'll take a look at the She Believes Cup. So. This year it involves the USA, Brazil, Canada, Argentina. Um, now Argentina replaced Japan, who had to withdraw because um, of COVID-19. Um, Argentina are the only team without a win so far at the point of recording. Um, but the USA, as predicted really, have been in fine form, including um, a 2-0 win over Brazil. It was a great goal from Kristin Press against Brazil. Um, now, we mentioned her on the podcast last week. She hasn't had the most exciting start to life as a Manchester United player. Um, Alejandro, do you think that if she plays well in this cup competition, it could be the boost maybe that she needs ahead of her return to the UK? Of course, really. National teams, they are many times the heel to the club season bounds. And Kristen Press, she's happy and she gets his feedback when she's back with the US Women's National Team. Uh, also in this Civilis Cup, she has been also enjoying many minutes and she scored a goal in the victory versus Brazil. So maybe this can be a boost before returning with Manchester United. So let's see how it goes after this international break. Fingers crossed for her, definitely. Now, speaking of the USA, of course, the world champions have extended their unbeaten run to 36 matches. Light work for the USA. Pretty simple, isn't it, really? I mean... Oli, why is the USA the best team in the world? Do you think it's down to the fact that the US have been embracing women's football for a lot longer, so facilities, things at grassroots level, etc., is stronger? Or do you think it's just down to the fact that they're the best team because they've got the best players and whatnot? Mm, I think it's a combination of all of these things you just mentioned. Um, yeah, it's like the national team, if you just take the national team, it's the... Uh, most successful team in, in the women's history. So uh, I think they've never been ranked lower than second of the world, which is incredible for over, I don't know, 30 years or something. Crazy. And yeah, it's just crazy. And I think uh, what's what's a bit different maybe to some countries here in Europe, uh, comparing it to Germany maybe, um, yeah, as you said, the grassroots kind of foundation there is much stronger. You have like the college teams, which are always... Um, yeah, pushing new young talented players into into the professional level. And yeah, I think that they just have a, a bigger history there, a bigger foundation, and this is really paying off. And you could see in the in the past that other countries like Sweden or Norway who are also, you know, say a bit more equal in their sporting approach towards football, um, they could compete as well and um, yeah, I think alongside these teams, the US had always some kind of advantage, and they they managed to to keep that advantage. Other than the Scandinavian countries I just mentioned, and 
yeah no other countries are trying to yeah not not maybe copy but trying to close the gap to the us and yeah just just try to reach that level of professionalism and just also um enthusiasm that is built around the team i, I think they already sell more shirts than the men's team and it's just yeah a situation where the men's team almost or the men's football in the country almost looks underdeveloped compared to the women's game and um yeah the whole the whole atmosphere around the team is just much bigger than for most other um, women's national teams around the world and yeah i think it's just paying off that they have a lot of well-educated good players good coaches and you can see the result i mean 36 matches unbeaten try to be that crazy isn't it i mean but i i get what you mean about the men's and the women's teams and the men's team you could argue maybe looks a little bit more underdeveloped and I think it's really nice that there is so much hype and enthusiasm around the women's team because I guess for me personally, if I look at England, now the men's and women's teams are kind of on a par with what they've achieved in recent years. Um, if not, the women's team kind of been better. Um, at least they've actually won a cup of some sort recently. Mm. Um, but you don't, I think it's, I think it's changing. I think the 2019 World Cup definitely changed things in England, but you definitely see more hype around the men's team than the women's. So it'll be really interesting to see if there's a shift with that as well in other countries. Um, of course, I mean, everyone seems set on the idea that the USA will win the competition. I would not be betting against them. Um but, you know, there are still other nations taking part, other exciting players. Um, Alejandro, are there any players that people should keep their eye out for if they are watching the tournament that maybe aren't just the stars of the USA team? Me, from my point of view, I'd like to remark Argentina's national team. Uh, they are a team that they have come back to play after more than one year of international absence. And they came in a state featuring the, some of the best teams in the world, like USA, Canada and Brazil. They are trying to play the best they can. They are trying to, they are showing a good performance in the pits, but they have a problem that is sat in the bench. And it, the name is Carlos Borrello. Uh, we have seen under under his management, he doesn't improve the team, but he takes them two steps back uh, with an with an old old-fashioned playing system, some very worse decisions. For example, we saw uh, a player like, like Soledad Jaimes one of the most important Argentinian players, I would say, of all history, playing so statically and without any freedom of movement. A player with the with the ability and the speed of Sole Jaimes, she should play wherever she wants. And she was stuck and she was uh, very stopped, very different what, as, as, as what we were used to see her. Also from the Argentina national team, I would like to talk about Mariana La Roquette, the player who made the goal uh, on the first game versus Brazil, or even Lorena Benitez, that she's still, she, she is a veteran player, but uh, she's, she's showing on these games that age is just a number, and she's one of the most biggest stars. But as, as, as I said before, the problem of, the, of these players and of this team is that uh, I think they can improve anymore if the if the coach is the same as it is it was ten or fifteen years ago. Well, we have heard it here. We need to keep our eyes peeled on Argentina. 
Um, what do you th- do? You think the likelihood of a managerial change? Do you think it could happen, or do you think that we're we're going to see a stagnant, stuck Argentina for a while now? I hope it happens. I hope it happens because really, Argentina, Argentinian women's football is growing, it's developing. We are seeing that they are having now a professional league, and and it's growing step by step. And Argentina, if they if they can find an, a better manager, they can even be on the first level in a few years. That's for sure. Well, fingers crossed for that, definitely. Um, looking at another team in the competition, Canada, um, the US also beat Canada. Um, now, they did manage a win over Argentina. The Canadians are doing okay, considering they are missing several key players the injured includes all-time leading international goal scorer Christine Sinclair. There's Dina Matheson, Erin McLeod, Bianca St. George's, Kayleen Sheridan. Um, she got an injury in the game against the USA. Oli, do you think that they will still have a good tournament? This is their first year in the competition. Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, they, they're playing Brazil tonight and... Uh... Yeah, if, if they can manage to maybe not lose that game, I think that would uh, be a successful tournament for them. Um, as, as you mentioned, a lot of players missing, a lot of key players missing. And also with this kind of, yeah, not, I, I don't want to say random team, but you know, with maybe a more less experienced players um, playing together uh, after such a long time. I think before that She Believes Cup, they played in March. Uh, the last time they played in March, also against Brazil, and they drew 2-2. So I would say if they if they manage to get that result again tonight or a similar result, then it would be just a fine, yeah, fine start to the international year for Canada. Well, hopefully by the time everyone is listening to this, Canada uh, will we'll perhaps have that win. We'll have to see. Um, <laughs> now, of course, Canada are also without Khadija Buchanan, Jordan Whittemer, Ashley Lawrence, because they were not released by their European clubs, um, obviously with the pandemic, etc. But Alejandro, what's your opinion on these clubs not releasing players? Do you think obviously they're within their rights to do so? Or do you think it's a bit of a shame for these um, these teams like Canada? To be honest, I understand clubs that they they don't want to release them when it comes the most important moment of the season. Even if I want to see the best players with their national teams, uh, we need to take into account that the the Women's Champions League starts to decide next week, the national championships are facing the most important moment of the season, and the clubs, they don't want to get any risk and they cannot get any problem in form of an injury of one of their key players when it comes this moment. I think as they did some years ago on men's football, FIFA should set up a balance of international dates and club dates because sometimes if, if this problem continues growing and the women's football it continues developing so fast, uh, we will face a problem a problem in terms of, for example, clubs, more and more clubs that they are reluctant to let have players going with the national teams. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It would be good to see something um, something like that happen. Um, now, I mentioned Brazil briefly earlier. Um, they did lose to the USA. They got that 4-1 win over Argentina. On the score sheet, of course, was Marta. She scored a penalty. 
she has had a very busy 2021. Um, in January, she announced her engagement to her now fiance and teammate, Tony Presley. Congratulations to them. She got her green card in February, which th this means that it gives her permanent residency status in the US, which qualifies her as a domestic player for the NWSL roster. And the six-time FIFA World Player of the Year has now agreed to sign a a, a new one-year deal with an option of an additional season for Orlando Pride. She's 35. She is still going very, very strong. This is a name that seems to have been around for so long now. I mean, you go back to maybe 10 years ago and you say women's football, people maybe, you know, that were aware um would, would say a name like, oh, Marta, yeah, yeah. Or they'd hear Marta and be like, yeah, she plays women's football, yeah. Um, Ollie, how important is she as a representative of women's football? And she must be so proud to see how far the sport has come as she comes more towards the end of her career. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, she is one of these iconic players that are doing so much, as you said, on the pitch, like... I can't even remember a Brazil team without Marta in it. Uh, but also off the pitch, as you just said as well, just be yourself and um, yeah, love whoever you want and just express yourself and stand stand uh, for who you are. And I think there are like on and off the pitch so many important messages and uh, also maybe paths she has done and shown up for for the for the younger generation to follow in. And yeah, I think she's uh, had a wonderful start to the year. And I'm really hoping we could see a couple of years more from her. Um, I'm never get tired of watching her play. It's just magic every single time. And yeah, but I think she's also now at the, at the moment where she feels that uh, my career is coming to an end. And she, um, I remember some, some quotes by her kind of pushing the younger the younger generation to, to stay hungry and you know claim your rights and just play the sports you love and to me it seems like she's quite happy to to pass the torch to that new prospects um in the in the next couple of years and i think she has done such an amazing job for the women's game in in general and yeah maybe a round of applause from everyone here <laughs> yes definitely i mean absolutely fantastic and like you say she is that that name that is synonymous with women's football and she's been such a fantastic role model for all the players that we're seeing now um you know that are you know maybe about 10 years younger than her that are coming through that have been rising through the ranks and everything she has been a fantastic representative of women's football and it it will be it will be a sad day when she retires i think like i say she seems to have been around for ages and the idea that she's not going to be around she'll she'll be retiring it is kind of sad but i mean i guess you know she's been working very very hard she does deserve a break i think yeah absolutely <laughs> um now, moving on to the Euro 2022 qualifiers. Spain, now, they have already qualified for the tournament. They faced Azerbaijan in their group, who have unfortunately lost all of their games. Um, so it was expected that Spain would win, um, but they won 13 goals to nil. Yes, you heard me correctly, 
13 goals, 1-3, 2-0. Alejandro, what did you make of that game? Really, a part of the debut of two Real Madrid players like Misa Rodriguez and Maite Oroz, I would like to remark that we have finally a battle for the starting centre forward in the team. Uh, the fight between Esther Hermoso and Esther Gonzalez and Jerry Hermoso, sorry, it was one of the best uh, Spain national team can ever have. And it's so nice to see how this Spain women's national team, they have gone a step forward in this kind of games and they are trying to play on a more attacking way because if you remember on the last World Cup qualifying phase, we were lacking this strength when facing the goalposts. And now it's so nice to see that Spain, they have improved their job in attack and they are trying to even attack more and more and keep all the complex in one side and focusing on scoring more and more goals. That's the best news Spain can ever have. Fantastic. I mean, you you must be really, really happy. Um, last week, uh, we were actually discussing um, some of those names that you mentioned um, about who is Spain's most important forward. Um, we mentioned, of course, Esther Gonzalez, the league's top goal scorer, Jennifer Hermoso, who uh, they both actually scored five goals each, <laughs> which is insane. Um, Oli, did you have a favourite goal or perhaps a favourite player? Who was your woman of the match? Uh, if you make me pick one, I will probably go for Esther Gonzalez just because I think she already had like four goals in the first half I don't even remember because there were so many but <laughs> just having like the first half hat-trick is super special to me uh or was it even five I don't know you have to rewatch the highlights it's, they it's were five they were five goals right? each one yes thank yeah. you yeah but she she was so so on point in the, in the first half and really um yeah leading the way for her team so I would pick her for the uh, player of the match and my favorite goal I think was the seventh <laughs> which, <hard> to keep <laughs> up. it's really difficult um yeah I think it was the seventh uh, like a, a cheeky low free kick to the near post which might have taken a little bit of deflection but I just count the goal for uh, Mariona Caldente and yeah I think that was my favorite goal of the match because I'm always a sucker for cheeky free kicks and yeah <laughs> if you haven't seen it watch it it's it's a nice one definitely um I mean in the 2017 Euros um Spain managed to get to the knockout stage of the competition um they went out on penalties to Austria but in 2020 they did come second in that she believes cup um Alejandro do you think that Spain has learned their lesson and will be ready to make a serious impact in next year's Euros competition. Are you feeling confident? You must be. I hope so. And I think I, I'm confident because if we remember the last women's Euro four years ago was a complete disaster from the Spanish side. And yeah. I'm still wondering why Spain performed on such a poor level and leaving such bad impressions as they left in quarterfinals. Because if you remember that Spain, they had a lot of problems when trying to attack. They they, they didn't have the fluency of, on the game they have now, and it's and it and it was so disappointing. But after the World Cup and especially last year, Sibylips Cup, the panorama has changed so much. I think Spain has left behind all their fears and all the complexes, and they are capable to fight face to face to any team in the world. 
And that makes me very optimistic, thinking on the next year's Euro, and why not dream with Irene Paredes lifting the title to Wembley's heaven? Imagine. I mean, I could only imagine how how exciting that must make you feel. Um, and yeah, it would be amazing. I think, um, I think, yeah, just looking at the talent that is in that team, you can not consider them as contenders next season. You know, like there have been rocky moments, but it feels like they're finally starting to find their groove. Um, and I'm really excited to see them play in the Euros. Um, Another big scoreline was Scotland. Um, they beat Cyprus 10 goals to one. Um, it's not been easy for Scotland. Um, they already know that they don't qualify for the Euros. The side do have a lot of talented players. Oli, how disappointing is it that we won't see Scotland in the competition? I am very disappointed, to be honest. Um, I thought that Scotland um, had like a a good progress made in the last couple of years. They, they've been to the World Cup and before that to the Euro as well. And yeah, this feels like a maybe a step back for them and for the whole Scottish football. And there were also some some troubles and noises in the league where the, the women weren't even allowed to train while the men were allowed to, you know, kick a ball around on a weekly basis. And yeah, the whole situation in Scotland seems a bit uh, messed up right now. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed because Scotland at a, at a tournament is always great. Um, a lot of great fans w would have maybe traveled alongside the team and it would have been for great for, uh, for the whole football of Scotland to have like the men's and the women's teams competing in a, in a tournament uh, one year after another. And yeah, it's, it's a really a shame. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, and like I say, you look at the, the talent that's in the side, it, it is a shame. Um, as I mentioned, they will not qualify. Um, so I guess it really didn't matter what the scoreline was. Um, but the team came out so strong. Yes, arguably against a weaker team. But still, to get that kind of result when you know that you're not going to qualify... Um, Alejandro, does this show the strength of this team um, and that also perhaps their interim manager, um, Stuart McLaren, could be the permanent replacement for Shelley Care, you know, to get those players in that mindset of, yeah, you know what, we are, we're not going to qualify, but let's still go out and put on a good performance. Look, Angelina, how cruel is the destiny that the former coach, Anna Signor, has been the one who have left Scotland out of the Euros with Finland. So that is the biggest the biggest thing. How cruel is the, is the destiny that your former coach is the one that kicks you out of the Euro? But, Awful. Painful. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, focusing on, on, on Scotland, I think the teams now should uh, focus on the new cycle and thinking that qualifying to the World Cup must be the main goal. They have a talented squad. They have talented players and they just only need a coach that can develop their style. And we have seen Stuart McLaren has done a pretty decent job during these games. So probably I would give him a chance. I wouldn't, I, uh, he wouldn't, uh, Scotland wouldn't lose nothing if he, if he gives him, if they give him a chance. Yeah, I, I agree with that one. Um, another thing from that game, um, it was 10 separate players that scored all of the goals. Um, 
which I don't know, you don't always see. I mean, you normally expect one player to have scored maybe a hat-trick or two goals here, or in Spain's case, maybe even five goals. Um, this, for me, I, I guess it kind of demonstrates, like I've mentioned, the talent that this team has. Um, Ollie, again, was there a woman of the match for you or overall just a really good performance from the team? Mm, yeah, this time I refuse to pick one player <laughs> out because, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, how balanced can a team be if 10 people <laughs> score? I mean, uh, only the goalkeeper is probably missing on the score sheet there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, no, seriously, it's, I think they put a, on a very professional performance despite knowing they can't um, qualify anymore for the Euros. And as Alejandro said, um, I think they should really already start focusing on uh, yeah, analyzing, learning from the mistakes, why didn't we qualify this time and then look forward to the World Cup qualify and work for that. And yeah, whoever will be coached then, I think McLaren seems up for it, but uh, yeah, we have to see. Um, yeah, whoever whoever is going to coach the team, I think still out, out of disappointment still has a, has a great team um, to manage and to to work with and yeah i think uh maybe they can they can go to the next world cup then again and uh yeah give us some some nice memories then i mean fingers crossed that they do get to the world cup um finally we head to a big friendly uh germany faced belgium over the weekend um both good teams germany arguably a brilliant team they are ranked as second best according to fifa um belgium sit in 17th place in those rankings if you're interested um and it was germany who got the win as they beat belgium two goals to nil in charge of germany is martina voss tecklenburg who has been at the helm since 2019 um she previously coached the swiss national team um, Alejandro and Oli, if you've got an opinion on it, um, do you think that she is the woman who can take Germany to another European Championship? I think she can, of course. I think after Steffi Jones' disaster here on Germany, I thought German they will need even more time to recover and get back to the international first line. But with Martina Bostecklenburg, she has not only improved the job Horst Hrubes did on the year before the World Cup, but she has also taken Germany to a new level. The only bad point is to Martina Bostecklenburg era is the elimination in the World Cup, but it's understandable if you see that they were facing a top rival like Sweden, that they are one of the most powerful teams in the world, and they were in a rebuild process. So I trust in Martina Bostecklenburg, and I think Germany can do a very nice uh, Euro next year, maybe arriving to semi-finals at least. Yeah, agree, Ali. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree on that. I, I read an interview um, with Vostecklenburg, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, and the way she thinks football and how she wants to to play that team and um, what she tries to you know teach to the young players to to be. Um, yeah, to be brave and take on situations that might be challenging. And yeah, this all sounds very promising to me. And yeah, I have high hopes for the next tournament. Good. Um, I mean, on the score sheet for Germany was a Bayern Munich forward, um, Leah Schuler, 
looking at the Bayern Munich team, there are quite a few players um, who have performed really, um, you know, quite well for their country. You know, Schuler, Clara Bull, for example, um, who was their top goal scorer in the qualifiers, um, and Lena Magul. Um, Oli, do you think that this Germany team has one main star like Clara Bull who could maybe lead them to glory? Or do you think this is a team with a variety of stars that can all perform when they are required to do so? Um, yeah, kind of both. I mean, if, if I had to pick one, you know, international star from, from Germany, um, it probably would be Jennifer Marotran, who won a lot of silverware with Lyon and um, yeah, has been sort of our, our key player over, over the years. But um, I, I mean, there's always some danger if you if you have that one standout superstar player and kind of your game plan relies on the player. And this is a little bit what we saw maybe in the World Cup two years ago when Marjan had uh, a foot injury and couldn't perform as as she wanted and the whole country wanted. And from that point of view, I think that we are now a bit better balanced in the whole squad and we have that kind of experienced players like Marujan or Alex Pop or Ahmed Schult in goal even to lead that young promising generation as you said like Clara Bühl or Julia Gwynn these kind of players and I think that the approach of Germany might be a little bit similar to the one that the men's team had in the 2014 World Cup when there wasn't like this one key players standing out but you know the idea of the Mannschaft was born so the team carrying uh, all resp responsibilities together and not shouldering it on one person and I think that this kind of approach would, could be quite well uh, work quite well for that Germany team. Yeah I agree Um also on the score sheet um, was Svenja who Apologies if I said that wrong. Um, she hasn't really been on fire for Wolfsburg, I think it's safe to say. Um, Alejandro, kind of like with Kristen Press uh, for the USA, do you think that international duty will help her with Wolfsburg? Uh, for sure, Angelina, as I said before, with Kristen Press, really national teams are sometimes the heel many, uh, to the club season bounds. And Svenja Hood, she's, she's living a similar case. She's not having the best year of her career with Wolfsburg, but she's still a very talented player and can give many things to the team. And maybe this comeback with Germany could boost her in for the rest of the season with Wolfsburg in the fight for the Women's Champions League. Here's hoping. Um, now, looking at Belgium, they did pretty well in the qualifiers. Um, they didn't manage to make a big impact against Germany. Oli, do you think that this game was maybe a bit of a reality check for Belgium after those qualifiers, that they're maybe not quite in that position to be competing with the best of the best yet? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I can't look into the player or staff's head and, you know, say or, uh, yeah, speculate about what they were thinking they are capable of. But of course, you have higher hopes if you have that great of a qualifier campaign and then face one of the best teams in the world still. I mean, Germany had the dip over the last tournaments, but it's still one of the biggest nations in women's football. And of course, you 
as Belgium, you would like to think that you're at the position to compete against these kind of teams. But as I mentioned very early when we were talking about the US women's national team, um, I think there are a lot of countries trying to close the gap to these elite national teams, let's say that. And I think Belgium is just at the state of that. And maybe they, they were disappointed after the game. But then again, it was just one match against Germany. And uh, that can always happen even for, for even bigger teams that you can have a day where you just really don't have a, a grip on the opponent. And I think they will take the right learnings from that. And if if uh, Germany, Netherlands and Belgium gonna gonna um, be able to pull that uh, the tournament one is 2027 I think uh, the World Cup home then I think this is a goal in the, in the midterm or long term that Belgium can really focus on and use the next tournaments to develop their mentality and the players and everything to maybe have that great experience on home soil then yeah, I agree with that idea of having that kind of long-term goal, most definitely. Um, before we wrap up on the international break side of the podcast, um, are there any other talking points that either of you would like to share? Maybe I'd like to talk about Kosovo Aslani, if okay. you want, because it's a, a hot topic that uh, it has become very popular in the last week that she's been back with the Swedish national team and she has spoken about her future in Real Madrid and she said openly that she's got offers from some clubs and she was trying to kind of pressure Florentino to get a new contract. Really, I love her quality on the pitch and it's wonderful to have her in, the, in Real Madrid, but words like the ones she said for the Swedish television doesn't help in any way to get a new contract. Yeah, I, I saw the interview and it's it's interesting to get your thoughts on it because, like you say, when a player is so good and you've got so much admiration for a player on the pitch and then you hear things like that, it's not the best route to maybe go down. Yeah, we are experiencing now in the men's team with the renovations of many important players that they have won a lot of titles and the, and the criticism is huge. Mm. So, really, I don't know if, if the way Kosovar Aslani wants to get a new contract, it's the best properly. Do you think she'll stay or go? I don't know. I, I hope she stays. I want her to stay because, really, Kosovar Aslani is, is one of the best strikers in the world and having her as the starting striker for Real Madrid is the best news, the, the blank cost they can have. But if she wants to go to another team, uh, she's free to go. Uh, what uh, in Real Madrid, the, no one shouldn't be unhappy. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's you know for for all the clubs that we support, you don't want yeah. them to. You don't want players that don't want to be at the club. I'm sure you will like it. You will like her in Man, in Man United. <laughs> Maybe I will. I won't. Uh... I won't agree or disagree with that one. Um, we, we shall see what happens. Um, um, I think for me, I just wanted to do a bit of a shout out to um, England's Jill Scott. The 34-year-old became just the second player to reach 150 caps for England in that 6-0 friendly victory over Northern Ireland. Um, 
And just to that England team for that win, I was really happy to see it. You know, they've not played a competitive game since that loss to Spain, actually, in the She Believes Cup in March 2020. Um, and there were two Manchester players, players that are playing in Manchester, um, that were mentioned as having great games by the coach. Um, you know, and those two players were Ellen White and Ella Toon. White has been on fire for Manchester City. We've spoken about her on the podcast a few times. Um, so I was really happy to see her get that hat trick. Um, and for Toon to score a penalty on her debut, um, I'm sure Man United fans will be happy to see that. Um, and an all-round comfortable and confident performance from England. And here's hoping, well, for my sake anyway, that it continues. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Um, if, if, I, if I'm allowed to bring something of in course. as well. Um, I'm very happy that Austria qualified for the Euros um, yesterday, I think. Um, they were surprisingly in the semi-finals in the, in the last Euros. And now they, I don't really know their qualification mode sometimes. <laughs> it's very, very hard to, you know, understand yeah. who has to win by what margin to qualify another team. And anyway, Austria is there. And um, I think it's great that you, you know, at the one Euros, you're in the semi-finals. And if they would have missed out the following Euros, that would have been a real, real shame to me because now it's interesting to see if they can repeat that success from four years ago or uh, if they, if it was just a, a run back in the days because now they have like Nicole Billa up front, which is firing in the in the Bundesliga. I think you talked about her in the, in the podcast a yeah. couple of weeks ago as well. Um, Sarah Zarati, for example, made the switch from Potsdam to Bayern and is um, doing great in that flying Bayern Munich team. So I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy about Austria being qualified and seeing them in the in the Euros in the next year. Yeah, definitely. I always think it's good to see teams have another opportunity in the competition, like you say, to see if it's. Is it a flash in the pan? Is it something that was maybe just a one-time thing? Or is this really a team that can be real contenders, um, I guess? But uh, but yeah, let's move on to our hot topics now. Um, first up, I want to say thank you to you, Alejandro. You sent me a brilliant video today regarding Barcelona. Um, of course, the presidential elections will be taking place next week. There are three candidates running... Um, and they were quizzed about Barcelona's women's team and it didn't go great, shall we say. Um, Andrew, do you want yeah, to it's a, it's tell us about this that. video? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's very simple. Yesterday, the, Catal the Catalonian regional tele television, uh, TV3, they interviewed the three candidates to the presidency of FC Barcelona, Joan Laporta, Victor Font and Tony Freixa. And they were making a trick question. They were asking him which player they will sign, and they were offering three options: Andrea Pereira, Leila Wahabi, and Os Osuala. They were offering these three options. The, the only one, Laporta, Joan Laporta recognized it was Leila Wahabi. And the on, uh, Victor Font, uh, she also she started to say she would like to sign Megan Rapino to Barça. And the only candidate she recognized, the three players, it was Tony Fraser. It's curious now because Tony Fraser, according to the polls, he's the one who has less support from the Barca club members. So it's going to be curious and let's see uh, whoever the, the, the new president he is, 
they will treat women's team because under Josep Maria Bartomeu, it was one of the best treated teams of FC Barcelona, and they and they have and they develop the a professional structure. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, props to the uh, to the presenter um, because at the end of the day, you know, the candidates were not aware of these three players that you know already play for the team um it's um you know to to manage to pull the wool over people's eyes like that I thought it was very smart um it isn't the best look let's be honest and let's hope that they now make it more of a priority to look at uh the women's team and who is playing um and maybe educate themselves a little bit because at the end of the day you know the Barcelona women's football team, it was founded in, I think, 1988. Um, you know, it, it am I right found, there? No, it, uh, the, f- the first team that was uh, was founded as a FC Barcelona woman, it, uh, it came officially in 1988, but the first team that wanted to represent Barca, okay. it came in 1970. Okay. So it's 50 years of women's football in FC Barcelona. Wow. And, well, nowadays they are probably living the golden era of uh, Barca women's football. 100%. And I mean, the team has been going for so long. They are at the moment, arguably, by a mile better than the men's team. Um, If anything, you know... Barcelona should be shouting from the rooftops about their women's team and how well they're doing. They've just won a cup. Like, it's absolutely insane. And I mean, as you mentioned, Victor Font mentioned signing um, Megan Rapino. Can we actually see this happening? Why not? Because, okay, Megan Rapino has said that her dream is to play for Barca. So maybe that can be even realistic, but... I, I, let's see how develop the themes, but Megan Rapino has said more than one time that she would like to play in Barcelona, and she will, uh, because she loves the, the playing style of, of Barca. So, if she ends signing for Barca, we will have a, a, a top a top signing level in Spanish league, and maybe Real Madrid uh, should enter in the race and bring some other Galactica. <laughs> to, to the team no no and really if, if we start the race of these Galacticas that could be the best news for a Spanish league and, and, and even a Spanish women's football having two top players in the face-to-face in the two biggest rivals of the Spanish football like they had immense football with Messi and Cristiano I like this idea of this Galacticas um, you know what I'm intrigued by this This I like where you're going with this idea Um Oli, could you see her making the move? <laughs> yeah, I very much convinced me. Like <laughs> before, I, I thought maybe it was just um, some name that came top to the head in that moment. But now that I hear that and hearing about you know world class players facing each other in the Spanish league, I can't disagree with that. And uh, yeah, maybe the Galacticas should come true then. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. I mean, no disrespect to Font or Barcelona whatsoever, but when he mentioned um, her name, you kind of thought, are you just mentioning her because that's the name you know? Or yeah, it was exactly. it was a little bit confusing. Um, but, you know, she is a phenomenal player. She's 35, but she's very Ronaldo-esque in that she doesn't seem to be showing her age at all at the moment. Um, she's already played um, for Leon, so... 
why not make the move to Barcelona or, or you know, wh- whoever? Um, because at the end of the day, it would be, if she did move to Barcelona, you know, it'd be arguably, depending on what happens next season, um, she's going to be 100% in the race for every big trophy. Um, so, yeah, why not? Um, but, yeah, thank you for sharing that video with us because it was very entertaining, I must say. Um, but there was another video um, and this one was from the Financial Times discussing women's football. The lady speaking was Ebru Koskal. Um, she is the chair of Women in Football in the UK, a member of the Scottish FA's Equality and Diversity Advisory Board. Her background is finance, hence Financial Times, um, but when AIG invested in Galatasaray, Koskal, who has been a lifelong fan of the club, worked on the proposal and she's then ended up working in football. And she has made a very interesting prediction on this video. Um, so she has predicted that women's football will become a mainstream sport property by, 2020, by 2030, which means that with the exception of top-tier men's football, it will be competing at the level of most sports like second divisions, men's football, rugby, cricket, tennis, perhaps. Now, this is massive. 2030 is not that far away. This means that women's football could have more viewers than the English Football League Championship or Premiership Rugby. It means that the top five women's leagues in Europe could generate, it's been rumoured, between 250 to 400 million euros in terms of media rights. Um, A question for both of you, really. What are your thoughts on this statement, especially regarding not just women's football in the UK with regards to, you know, being as popular as the championship, etc., but in other countries, you know, like France, Germany, Italy, Spain, etc. If women's football, they can reach in England numbers, as you said, as the ones that Premiership Rugby is reaching or even men's championship football, uh, for England, that could be the best news English football could ever have. I don't know, maybe only can uh, talk us uh, deeply about other countries like in Germany, but in Spain we are experiencing experiencing lots of fights between the Spanish Federation and the Cl- Women's Football Clubs Association. For example, they are fighting against the for they are fighting for the TV rights because nowadays the TV rights model in Spain is not centralized and the clubs they can they, they can sell the rights to whoever they want. So now uh, we knew last Monday, Sevilla F Sevilla F Football Club, they are leaving the association after they have uh, some legal issues. They were taking without the consensus and the agreement of all the clubs. And also on the other hand, in Spain, we have the promise of the Spanish government saying that women's football will become professional from the next season onwards. Uh, of course, that that is going to be a moment where women's football will grow, but we need to see, to be expected, and to have a have an eye on this to see if the, if this develops properly or or is it just words? Yeah, I mean, in Germany, I mean, these these numbers sounds great, and I think it would just be a dream to have that. Um, currently, I'm quite unsatisfied with TV rights in Germany. You have one there's always one match on on friday evening that is on one channel and then the other matches are mostly on sunday which are on another channel and i don't know sometimes they just skip the match on friday night because there's 
I don't know, some important tennis game on and it still feels like, yeah, we kind of have to cover that. But if there's something better on, maybe we can switch it off last minute and it's very unsatisfying, the whole TV rights situation here. And yeah, I would really, really love to see a bigger commitment and the, and the boost, obviously also in, in terms of money that is uh, brought into the, into the game and helps to develop the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I know in the UK um, there are kind of women's football like podcasts and shows and things with the BBC and Sky Sports. Um, I know that BT and the BBC um, do tend to broadcast or stream um, the Women's Super League, for example. Um, but I, I get what you mean about, oh, it's women's football, we best just put it on. But, oh, actually, there's some tennis, put that on instead. Um I, I kind of get where you, you're coming from with that. Um, I mean, it it would be absolutely fantastic to consider it as a mainstream sport. Um, Numbers-wise, I guess we, we won't know what will happen, but just that idea of it being a mainstream sport is exciting. Um, of course, this has been met with a lot of criticism from very small-minded people. Um, I personally feel like people are blind to the growth of the women's game and what's been going on. Um, you know... I think about only a couple of years ago when I was interviewing um, some female footballers in the UK, um, some managers, etc. And, you know, I was talking to these women who, you know, were not, uh, they, they couldn't just play football and have that as their job. It was more something that if they had time and they could play, then they would. And I'm talking about, you know, teams that are in the Women's Super League or the Championship at the moment, you know, big teams, big names. And, you know, they're working their job, perhaps they have children and they're having to, you know, drive at six o'clock at night after a really busy day, you know, eating in the car on route to get to training and, and things like that. And you look now that female footballers, you know, a lot of them are now starting to earn enough money to play football full time. And you think about, you know, maybe 10 years ago when that wasn't possible. Um, so yeah, for me, it is really exciting. Um, and just talking about, you know, those kind of improvements that are happening. Alejandro, do you believe that things are improving? Of course, they're improving, but at the correct rate. Yeah, things are improving, but they are not improving, I think, at the speed we'd like them to improve. For example, in Spain, it took many years to sign a collective agreement where the players, they got recognized many some fundamental rights as a minimum wage, a maternity leave or a social insurance. And that was reached last season after the players went on a strike. So that is the that is the, the problem that the things they, they are improving, but they are going so slow many times. Also, in other countries, in South America, they are putting more and more trials to players to develop. For example, in Colombia, the development of the women's league is facing every day, every time, a continuous trouble, trouble coming from the sporting authorities and, and federations. In Argentina, the federation made the league professional, yeah, but they are still facing some structural problems as lack of attention from the clubs that some of them they don't care so much of women's football media that the media coverage is not the one that they were expected even if there is this uh, TNT sports channel that covers some games of the Argentinian uh, women's football league and also some sexism from some fans and some media so that is of course the things that are improving but they need a boost and the, and the things that 
they need to go a bit faster. I don't know if you agree with me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think what one example that kind of upset me a little bit was just last week, um, the FA in England said that there were no plans to introduce full-time referees to the Women's Super League as there was not enough value, I quote, in the women's game to pay them. Um, but this could change if the game was given a cash injection from somewhere, but it probably wouldn't happen in the next three years. Um, so yeah, Ollie, just to get your opinion on all of this that we've been talking about, and do you think that this is f fair, that the professional level of the game is dependent on money like this? Or do you think this is just one of those situations where it's just the way that the world works now? Uh, I'm I'm a little bit afraid that this is how the world works now, but it doesn't mean that it's fair. And, yeah. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of yeah, or very much frustrated and kind of kind of yeah, tired of hearing the same arguments over and over again. Maybe worded differently, but most time it's the same thinking behind it. And I'm yeah also a bit tired of talking this money talk and just the wording not enough value in there um i don't know about that but at some point i just think yeah maybe you should start uh and with you i mean in this case dfa maybe you should start um creating that value and yet generating that and making it more attractive and i don't know i'm just i'm just very frustrated with the whole thing and yeah, i don't want to <laughs> say something bad but yeah it's just yeah very annoying i i totally get what you mean um now just finishing off in addition to this allegedly leaked documents appear to reveal that real madrid have been in advanced talks with saudi arabia's state-owned kidia which is described as an entertainment mega project whatever that is um and the documents are about a 150 million euro partnership deal which would have Kidia being the lead sponsors for the club's women's team. Alejandro, whether or not this is true, how important are deals like this? How important would a deal like this be for Real Madrid and for women's football? Really, if this becomes true, that can be that can be the game changer for women's game. The game changer, not one game changer, because as associating with Real Madrid brand is probably associating with the most valuable brand in football and also the club wants to develop big plans for next uh, for the women's team and they want to do many things for for the team in terms of investing the money uh, play uh, putting them in playing in front of very big crowds and making the team one of the biggest team in, in, in the world so let's see how the things develop and let's see if there is if there will be any changes for next season in terms of sponsorships, but I will have an eye on this, even if Saudi Arabia probably, I don't know if it's the best uh, partner to travel. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, you definitely keep your eye on that one and let us know uh, if you get any inside scoop on that. Um <laughs> Now, yeah. lastly, to both of you, if this does become a reality, if this prediction is correct, which I am completely on board with at the moment because I'm feeling very, very positive. So 
by 2023, women's football has grown significantly. Which teams do you guys think will be the biggest? Probably Real Madrid for sure. That is one, the, the one that is going to be maybe one of the biggest teams in, in 10 years, and I'm sure about that. But also teams like Bayern Munich, Man United, Man City, they, they are going to be teams that they will dominate Europe in the next season. So it's going to be a nice fight between all the teams. Yes, I mean, I, of course, who else would I go for other than my team? I feel like if we manage to end up getting those Champions League, um, one of those Champions League spots, we continue to progress at the speed that we've been progressing. I'm talking world domination for my team, not going <laughs> to lie. Ollie, what about you? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about world domination, but yeah, <laughs> obviously, I think we, we're going to see an even heavier shift uh, to, towards the bigger like the classic big man clubs that are now starting to invest or already have invested into the women's game and i think in the long run these will be the teams that will be on top like in germany there are still some uh some clubs that are only like exclusively for women's football like to be in the potsdam or sc sand and i think in the long run, these teams will probably drop out of the competitions. And um, yeah, in the end, we will just see the classic big teams, which is kind of sad, but I think it's a sacrifice that has to be made to, you know, progress and take the, the women's game to the next level. And for me personally, I think by 2030, Dortmund, which is my favorite club, should be able to finally reach the Frauen Bundesliga in Germany. I think they're starting now at the lowest league in Germany. And I hope in 10 or 9 years, they will have made their way up towards the top and maybe play a Champions League against uh, an even bigger Real Madrid or Man United team. I was going to ask you about Dortmund. I, I like that. Well, let's hope that all our teams are playing against each other. The big, Maybe in 10 years, not 10 years, in uh, nine years, um, is my maths correct? In 2030 anyway, maybe we'll all get together and have a discussion about this and see who was right and who was wrong. We'll play the footage back, I reckon. Love that. <laughs> so that is the end of our podcast. Big thanks to our guests, to all of you for listening. And if you do want to get in touch, the address is podcast at onefootball.com. Don't forget, you can head to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you listen to all of your podcasts, really, to have a listen to the One Football Podcast.